All right, so back to another cutting room floor. Uh, we're still sort of leaning into and considering the conquest and different arguments in the midst of it. Uh, today, we're going to look at sort of the use of hyperbole. Uh, I mean, we can just start by defining what hyperbole is yeah. uh, for people and then sort of lean into maybe examples of it in the scriptures sure. and then specifically as it relates to the conquest. For sure, yeah. So I think big picture, regardless of you know talking about scripture or not, yeah. hyperbole is... You know, one way to put it is like an exaggeration or okay. a way of making a making a point that overemphasizes something okay. to communicate something that's really core or essential. Yeah. And so when we're talking about Joshua, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, kind of the overlapping accounts of the conquest going into the promised land. Okay. One thing that biblical scholars point out is that kind of the narrative way that the story is told in particular with how the narrator and even Joshua himself describes kind of how they took over or how they drove out or how they defeated kind of opposing, you know, people groups okay. is through this idea of hyperbole. Okay. Now kind of what this means or what this looks like is that you have language in these, these books, of the Bible of where there'll be passages like we killed everyone there yeah. or we left no survivors or we destroyed them all. So kind of one quick example, yeah. Joshua ten thirty seven. He left none remaining, and so devoted to destruction every person there in the land. And so Joshua 10 and 11 are kind of these key kind of turning points in the yep. book of Joshua. They kind of summarize what's happened to this point, conquering the northern part of the promised land and the southern part of the promised land, and kind of laced throughout chapters 10 and 11 okay. is this language of they destroyed everyone, they killed everyone, okay. they drove out everyone. So in the biblical account, in chapters 10 and 11, you're saying that the text actually says... Literally, everyone was driven out. Exactly. Everyone is gone. Totally. So this would, I think you've used this example before, like a, a modern example of hyperbole would be like the Seahawks played yesterday. Sure, yeah. They destroyed their yes. opponent. Yeah, yeah. But really, their opponent still went home, went they to lived. their families. Yeah. You know, uh, and you're saying maybe something similar is happening here because what we see is right after Joshua 10 and 11, as the story unfolds, there are still people living there. Exactly, hundred percent, and that's a great kind of kind of modern analogy to kind of map onto yeah. what we're talking about in the biblical narrative. Because, you know, there's examples Joshua ten eleven we just mentioned. Even at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua twenty one, not not any one of their enemies had withstood them. Joshua twenty one verse forty three and following. So there's all this language of it seems like they just drove out every single sort of yeah. people group they were told to. And the text actually says that. says that in the word. So like if you were to use the language of if you were to literally read the text, yeah. you're, you might walk away with the assumption that, you know, as the story continues into the rest of the books of the Bible, like Samuel and Kings, that a lot of these ites for, you know, to summarize these yeah. people groups aren't there physically at all. Yeah. They're, They're all destroyed. They're like, all so it'd gone. have to be people from other countries yes. that are coming into the land. But literally, if you took those texts, you know, chapters 10 and 11, sounds like 21, you're saying yeah. that if you took those texts, literally that like, whoa, they did this. Yes then you should not see any of those people groups ever popping up again in the biblical Exactly, narrative. yes. And so you can maybe just, for the sake of argument, have that assumption in the book of Joshua yeah. and just assume, oh, these people, you know, they're gone forever. Yeah. You turn to the very next book of the Bible, jo uh, Judges, yeah. and Judges, the first verse of Judges chapter 1 says this, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites? To fight Wait, against what? them. I thought they were all destroyed. <laughs> they're all gone, right? And so yeah. right off the, the you know, the very first verse of the book of Judges, the question that they're asking after Joshua has passed away, it's now the kind of the next generation after Joshua, is there's by implication with this question, 
there's still more Canaanites to kind of drive out or, or destroy it. or get out of the land. And what's really interesting is that just within Judges chapter one, there's eight different times that reference people groups, these ites that you just read in the book of Joshua that were, quote, completely destroyed. Hmm. So something's happening here yeah. between Judges chapter one and the the book of Joshua as a whole. So just even just to summarize, so like if you want to take the scripture really seriously, it doesn't mean then that like by saying, you know, that, you know, maybe not everyone was destroyed. Like that, that is not taking the scripture unseriously. Yes. Actually, what you're saying is you cannot hold both views. Both views exactly at the same time, because here's, I'm going to just do some quick kind of rough examples here. So in the book of uh, Joshua, here's four different cities that were, we're told were completely conquered or completely destroyed. Okay. So Hebron in Joshua chapter 10, verse 36, Debir in Joshua 10, verse 38, Jerusalem in Joshua 10, verse 5, and a couple other verses in, in chapter 10. So these places are completely, completely destroyed. destroyed. Like in no one is living. No one's living. Joshua yeah. 12, verse 14. So okay. Hebron, Debir, Jerusalem, and Zephah. Yeah. Right in the first chapter of Judges chapter 1, you're told that there's still people to be destroyed or driven out. In those exact four cities in Joshua 10 are mentioned again in, in Judges chapter 1. So that means the Bible is telling us something. Here. Yes. Something else is, is happening yeah. here. Something else is happening here. And so what people have kind of discussed and point out is that it's not just in tr- from Joshua to Judges that you see this sort of language. It's within even the book of Joshua itself, you have this. So okay. what we just, what I just did right there was make the point within other books of the Bible that kind of read back or yeah. look back onto the Joshua account, there's evidence that some of these people actually survived and not all were destroyed. Yeah. But that very same argument can be made when you actually carefully read the book of Joshua itself and just stick with wow. the book of Joshua. Okay. So we were mentioning Joshua, Joshua chapters 10 and 11 as far as where a number of the cluster of these passages of completely destroy yeah. are found. But in the kind of the chapters that follow, Joshua 12 in particular, Joshua 12 verses 6 and following, talk about how there's still more of these ites, including the Jebusites who live in Jerusalem. And remember, mm. Jerusalem was one of those cities in Joshua yeah, 10 that was, was quote, completely, completely destroyed. Yeah. But they're still popping up their heads, if you will, in uh, Judges chapter mm. 12. Same thing in Joshua 15. So wait, Joshua, Judges chapter 12. So in oh, 10 sorry, and, sorry, Joshua chapter 12. Okay, Joshua, Joshua 12. But in 10 and 11... These people were completely, completely destroyed. destroyed. Exactly. So literally in the very next chapter. Exactly. So whoever is writing the book of Joshua, like knows that something else is going knows on. Knows that something else is going on, which is, this is key because it'd be one thing to say, if you just had the argument of Jud- or Joshua and Judges. Yeah, two different authors. Two different authors. Exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe some times have passed exactly. between them. Yeah. But what you have with Joshua is that the author of Joshua in this form that with the book of Joshua, they yeah. had all 24 chapters is there's evidence backing up the judges Joshua argument that we mentioned yeah. a moment ago. There's more examples here in the notes. You know, you go to Joshua chapter 16, the, the text says that they did not drive out all the Canaanites that lived in Gezer. But if you read Joshua chapter 10, it says that they left no one remaining in the town of Gazer or the region of Gazer. So again, it's that same internal argument, yeah. that same evidence that not everyone is actually being driven out when the text, quote, literally says yeah. they were all completely destroyed. Hence, hyperbole. Hyperbole, yes. So all of that, you yeah. might go, okay, maybe really there's some confusion. The authors don't know yeah. what they're talking about. But actually what we find out is that when you look at how narrative is told in particular war type narrative conquest type narrative like this is israel is not the only ancient near eastern culture to kind of describe the history of how they went about doing battle yeah very common you know in this kind of tribal culture 
what we end up kind of seeing, what we end up finding out is that one of the primary ways that a nation or a people group would kind of recount or tell their story of having victory over another sort of civilization or tribe was through this language of what we might call exaggeration or hyperbole mm. or to use kind of more modern vernacular like ancient trash talk. Yeah. And it was simply a way of just saying when we when Joshua says we completely destroyed or we completely drove out everyone in the land, it was not intended I think what I think a lot of people are saying to be taken literally how we might think literally as far as there's no single human being left yep. alive breathing in that particular region yep. or people group. That makes sense. So what we have here then is both within different books of the Bible, within its own particular book, the book of Joshua. And then thirdly, when you compare to other other ancient Near Eastern kind of war accounts yeah. or war histories, kind of three pieces of, of evidence that kind of point to the direction that when we read this language of kind of total destruction or total annihilation, we're not meant to read those verses or those passages as literal in the sense that, okay, that means every single human being or every single creature no longer exists or is living after those yeah. accounts. Like there's place. a rat, go get go it. Go get it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so how this sort of, I mean, helps to a certain degree is that instead of reading these passages of going, oh my gosh, it seems like so brutal. So horrific. So horrific that yeah. God is commanding the Israelites to just destroy every living thing that breathes. Rather than we're to read these as hyperbole, what this does, there's a few reasons where I think this might help us as modern readers. Okay. Now, this isn't going to alleviate all our yeah. problems or questions. There still is a war. There's there still, still is yeah, a battle. Yes. Soldiers still are dying. Exactly. Yeah. So we're yeah. not denying any of those things. We're just yeah. wanting to read kind of this historical narrative, historical war narrative in the genre that we think it's intended yeah. to be. When I hear you saying like, actually to understand the Bible, we actually need to really pay attention to the Bible. Exactly. And sometimes we do this cursory reading that feels like, huh, I'm kind of put off. Yeah. But actually, if we dive a little deeper, if we're a little more curious, there's actually a lot going on there that we can mine. Exactly. Yes. And what we're, what we're trying to draw out here is that when it's actually you read the actual text, you're actually pointed to these pieces of evidence that show something else is going yeah, on within here. The text within the itself. text itself. This isn't just some yeah. outside source telling so, us it's this. It's not some random PhD historian yes. who said, oh, in an archaeological dig, we found X. Exactly. This is within the text and within the canon of scripture. Yes, both. Yeah. And then you have other people that then contribute. Contribute and outside verify. Exactly. Information. And kind of support yeah. what's already happening here. That I think that, that logic is really important to get. But maybe just to simply close, yeah. there's kind of three kind of simple reasons or three ways, I guess, how this hyperbole aspect might help us as modern okay. people grapple with yeah. these texts. The first one is simply this, that it kind of, it does to a certain degree reduce the severity of what we're reading. Yeah. So you, they go into Jericho and we realize, oh, okay, like maybe they didn't kill every man, woman, yes. and child uh, in the text. Am I right or yes, wrong? Yes. Yes. Okay, so that's... So that's probably that. That's a helpful way to look at it. Yeah. Instead of kind of envisioning in our in our heads as we read these stories, yeah. like a kind of crazy person in a movie that's just like, out ah! to get every yeah. single person <laughs> and is like yeah. just red in the Maniacal. face until yeah. exactly. We're not to envision that. Yeah. What we're to simply see is that when you know, for example, like you mentioned, Israel goes into and kind of takes over Jericho. Yeah. They simply just won that battle. Yeah. And that Jericho was defeated. Yeah. Not that again. They just kind of mind every single nook yeah. and cranny in Jericho. There's another it. person. Yeah, right yeah. now. No, the, the point yeah. was that they simply just won yeah. the battle. And then when you add the historical side of people that have done research on Jericho, you realize, oh, and it's primarily a military fortress. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And, and so like there actually wasn't a lot of men, women, exactly. and children. Exactly. Yes. And it's yeah. probably the population 
population being a much smaller than how we might envision, yeah. you know, a modern city, especially Correct. today. Yeah. So reduced severity is number one. Number two, yeah. and it's uh, similar and related, is that we're not talking about genocide here. Especially in modern vernacular, when we kind of think of genocide, what we're... Think of the Holocaust. Holocaust. I yeah. mean, that's like the literal, at yeah. least the desire for the Nazi German, yeah. Germany was the full and complete yeah. elimination. Eradication of, of a people group yes. versus a winning of a battle. Exactly. Which yes. are different things. They're different things. Again, I'm not saying this solves all our problems. No. I'm not saying this kind of you know releases but all the tension You're with putting the them in the appropriate framing category when we might be tempted to say this is an ancient holocaust yes. you're saying no this is an ancient war an ancient war exactly this is not genocide this is not ethnic cleansing yeah right so i think those two reduce severity not genocide and and the, the the third thing is that this kind of helps with what one writer talks about the ethical baseline within the ancient near eastern world meaning this is that israel was commanded yes to go into the land but they actually had parameters as to like the limits as far as how much they could actually do as far as the violence mm. and the killing. Yeah. And so when we read the, about these narratives going into the promised land and we read these hyperbolic accounts, it's important to recognize that these narratives of hyperbole are within a very specific geographic location and a very sp specific uh, narrative time within the biblical storyline. And what's kind of what, why this is important is when, it was when you build on this is that Israel was given instructions for war in this particular context, but they were not allowed to take these same sort of kind of commands, if you will, to just whatever kind of land or people group beyond the borders of mm. what God had given them in the promised land. Mm. So this wasn't these hyper hyperbolic accounts were not just sort of like a unilateral, you know, blank check for Israel just to go do this exact same thing. In whatever kind of land they wanted to go conquer, mm -hmm. perhaps yeah. farther east or there further were, north. There were or geographic, time, uh, geographic and time barriers exactly to, to this. even this conquest. Even if it wasn't genocide, yes. even if it wasn't as severe as it seems, there were further limitations. Further limitations. And in fact, when you look at when there's two things in particular that I think are important in pointing out is that when Israel's leaders are described or the, the call for Israel's leaders, the kings in particular in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 17 talks about the kings being those that aren't ones that acquire a lot of chariots and horses and weaponry. In fact, Israel's kings were to be ones that read the Torah day and night. Hmm. They were essentially to be people that focused on the scriptures and not kind of seeking after military yeah. power and strength, yeah. which is interesting because by the time you get to Solomon, the thing that this, the narrator of the book of Kings indicts Solomon for is doing the exact opposite yeah. of what Deuteronomy 17 said the king was supposed to do. Solomon goes and collects all of this sort of war material, chariots, horses, yeah. women from Egypt, so on and so forth. Hold slaves. Hold he slaves. Does all kinds all of things. Kinds of things. Yeah. And it's, it's a critique of Israel's sort of desire for more military yeah. power and strength when they go beyond the bounds of what God had yeah. told them and was given them in the book of Joshua in this promised land yeah. conquest, if you it's will. It's sort of Israel's attempt to become Egypt. Exactly, yes. Versus the people of God that God is calling out of Egypt Ex and out of slavery. For sure, because yeah. the, the narrative flow, and I'll kind of end with this, is that Israel's call was not to seek kind of military power and aggression to just dominate other yeah. people. Their call, think of the psalmist, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust the name of the Lord, our yeah. God. That Israel's trust was to be in Yahweh and him alone. Yeah. And that when you look through the rest of the prophetic literature, the hope and the call of Isaiah chapter two was that the weapons of war would be turned into essentially yeah. farming equipment, swords into yeah, plowshares. Yeah. And so that's the, the frame, the storyline that that's Israel good. is being invited into. Even though, yes, we have these difficult texts 
it's important to recognize number one, the nature of the literature, the yeah. hyperbolic account, but then also sort of the time boundness that comes with this yeah. in light of the larger call that God had on Israel, both in with how their Kings were to be kind of leading and with the prophetic hope that one day the violence would cease yeah. to a certain degree and that there would be peace in, in God's world. That's good. Thanks man. Yeah.